Hi, I'm Angelo Mike. I'm the filmmaker on the Flying Over Trout YouTube channel, which frequently stars my mom, Angelo's mom. I've been a YouTube filmmaker for 10 years now, that's since 2009, and I'm talking for the Film Courage channel about why you should be filmmaking every day. So, after my little intro, really, who am I and why would you even listen to me? Well, like I said, I've been making YouTube videos for about 10 years. I've been working in little productions even before that, since before YouTube was around. Now that feels like a different era. And uh, I approached Film Courage to, to collaborate because that's just what I do. I always want to reach out to people and see who can I work with, who can I find something in common with, where we can make something. And I just follow my instincts on that. But I also try and develop my instincts on that too. And I think filmmaking every day is really important for me. It's crucial for me, actually. There's no such thing as taking a day off to not really be engaged in filmmaking. Because even if I'm not literally shooting something, I'm always trying to take in something and experience and learn and uh, try and deal with, you know, like whatever circumstances I have and let the environment inform me about what kind of stories there are to tell. Um, I've had to struggle through a lot. Uh, I've been homeless the last eight months. I'm filming in this field now because it's the first field I could find in three hours in Los Angeles where it's like somewhat adequate conditions where I can film in. I live in my car and through it all I think I, I wanted to do it even though it's been a struggle, it's been challenging, I've been broke, uh, lonely. Um, I want to keep doing it. I have to. And uh, it's been really important for me to get that experience. Now, about filmmaking every day, I was thinking about how I came to this point to be in L.A. I was working constantly on my YouTube channel for a long time. Uh, to start out, I didn't, though. Starting out, it was just something I did, you know, for fun once in a while. And then I was focusing on trying to do videography. And I just figured somehow I'll get rich doing videography. So along the lines of filmmaking every day. I think we all have excuses for why we don't do things and we convince ourselves they're not a good idea to do. I shouldn't do it because it's going to be too much work and so it's not going to make sense to do. So I shouldn't film something because, and it's not, it doesn't even necessarily mean filming every day. It could be me writing too. I'm screenwriting and the Film Courage channel is where I learned so much about how to write and to get the confidence to where I am now to be able to like keep writing and thinking okay stories coming along it's developing start writing other stories uh, reading a bunch of books from the screenwriters and authors on Film Courage so filmmaking every day to me means you're looking for those opportunities where you're trying to do something actively because it's so easy if I were to take half a day off it would be so tempting to, to get frustrated and panicked and say well, it's not a good idea to even work on any kind of film because now, or any kind of YouTube video, because I'm not making any progress now. So it's not going to make any sense and I shouldn't do it. And I'll just get in this endless loop of frustration and anger, uh, which I, I, it's easy for me to get into a lot anyways. Driving around today, trying to find a park I could uh, film in was a challenge uh, as far as that goes. I was feeling frustrated and lonely, but... What, I was, uh, what I'm talking about here with filmmaking every day, I'll give some stories. So when I was doing videography, actually right before that, uh, okay, so I was doing videography for a while. I thought it was going well enough, like I was enjoying it. And then I got really sick, got disabled for nine months, could not work, could not drive. 
uh, there were points where I could barely sit up. I was in so much pain. There was at least a month or so where I was sleeping about 45 minutes a night because I was in such pain and I was compulsively walking. Uh, it's called akathisia, I think. And I was compulsively pacing about 23 hours a day. It sounds weird, but I could not stop. If I stopped, it would have been excruciating. If I tried to sit down, I would have started screaming and slamming my feet on the ground because I had to walk. Anyways, it was horrible, and I thought I would never get better. So after nine months, this fog kind of lifted. I started getting better. I was like, okay, I got to get right back to work. And I still wasn't the same. It took another year for me to just be able to sleep a full night. But um, I got in, back into videography, called my own client, started working... Uh, with them again, and um, some of my favorite comedians, Tim and Eric, from Tim and Eric, awesome show, great job, they did a cooking show called Tim's Kitchen Tips. I thought it was really funny, Tim was the star of the show, and he, he would keep messing up these recipes and spill stuff out of the bowl, and so it, it was always funny to me to show stuff to my mom. She's a Greek immigrant, she's never used a computer, she, like, she believes whatever she sees. So I showed her the Tim's Kitchen Tips, and she thought it was a real cooking show. And she's like, oh, that's disgusting. I'm going to make a salsa and I'm going to show him how to cook a recipe properly or make a salsa. And here's the thing. I doubted doing it. Up to that point, I'd never done a cooking video with my mom. Now those videos consistently get thousands and thousands of views and they've gotten hundreds of thousands all combined. Um, but I would not... They're consistently the best performers on my channel. But... I didn't know if I should do it because I'm like, well, who's going to see this, you know? And at the time, I must have had like 150 subscribers on YouTube, you know, wondering what's the point. And see, that's such a, um, a bad position to be in where you're thinking, oh, what's the point? I shouldn't even try. So it's not worth it. So we filmed the video, put it up. My mom couldn't even say Tim Heidecker's name right. I tried telling her his name and she said, what, what's his name? Tim Hotbrecker? What? And... I, lit I had to go off, take a plane right after that, and I was traveling, and uh, traveling a lot for like two months for, doing, uh, for some videography. After two months, I see the production company for Tim, the, uh, Tim's Kitchen Tips called Jash post saying on Facebook saying, uh, we're going to give away bottles of the mustard that Tim used in the show. And uh, I said, oh, send me one. We'll make a cooking video with it. Here's a video my mom did making fun of Tim's criticism. And that's all I wanted was the free bottle of mustard. It was called Pissman's Mustard, by the way. So it was funny every time, you know, Tim says it's Pissman's. But they said, this is great. We're going to send it to Tim. The next day, I believe, Tim Heidecker left a comment on the video saying, I challenged this woman to a cook-off. I must have had like 175 subscribers at that point. I didn't even want to send the video to Tim at first because I thought oh, this will be embarrassing you know they're gonna think I just want their attention or something I woke my mom up immediately she was complaining like what what are you waking me up for whatever I told her the comment and she immediately accepted the challenge because she doesn't back down from challenges she said what <laughs> she's like Tim you don't know who I am or what I'm cooking and she could not say his name at all again she she called him uh well what'd she call him uh Timmy Breaker and so a month later, they flew us out to L.A., they did the cook-off, it was amazing. I can't believe they did it. And, but it was just from taking an opportunity that I didn't know like, if it was a good idea or not. But here's the thing, if it wasn't, 
should I be, have been ashamed of it or anything? Because everybody's got to try something. And I think it would have been in good... Obviously, it worked out. It was a good idea. It was one of my best memories. To this day, the cook-off has gotten over a million views. So that's something my mom is known for now. And, uh, it, like, it was such a great, you know, positive experience. And it gave me that little confidence where Tim was on set and he told me, keep making videos. It was just so weird. He, he did it. Think, keep in mind, Tim Heidecker and the production company flew us out from Virginia to L.A. just because he really believed in this funny idea. That's it. It's not because we were popular. Like I said, I must have had 150, 175 subscribers. He did it because he thought my mom was funny. So that told me, keep doing this. I always had that kind of belief in me, but that told me, okay, keep going. And it was tough, you know, like I was still recovering from my illness. I had gained a bunch of weight. Uh, I was barely sleeping. I was feeling so lonely. It, it was a tough time. On top of that, I had to move several times. I was uh, kicked out of my house. Uh, lived with an 89-year-old Baptist pastor who asked if he could get in the shower with me because I was desperate for a place and moved in with him. Uh, I moved out of living with him after a month. But I'll get to something else. In Around that time, too, uh, I, I was a huge fan of Angry Grandpa on YouTube. One of my favorite YouTubers. Angry old southern guy, lived in a trailer in South Carolina. He would destroy everything because, like, he would just get mad about something. Destroy his trailer, destroy the oven, the refrigerator, tables, um, tear down walls, everything. I was a big fan of his, so I happened to have a, a videography gig in South Carolina about an hour away. So I, I had already been in contact with his son a little bit who ran the YouTube channel at that point. I said, well, can I make some videos with you? He said, sure. We did them all. Uh, I think I got about um, 1,200 new subscribers from that from working with him. So that brought me to like 1400 at the time, which to me was huge. It was such a big deal. It, it, it is huge. It is a big deal. I was so happy about it. It was so exciting. We did some prank. We did a prank on Angry Grandpa. He got really mad. And it was still a struggle. Even after that, I was depressed because I was like, well, what do I do now? You know, that's the question I kept asking. What do I do now? What do I do now? So I moved into a city called Annandale uh, after I lived with the uh, Baptist pastor. And I absolutely hated it. I was working two jobs for several months and doing videography. I still could not sleep after I got this illness. I sleep well. I was sleeping on a one-inch pad on the floor, depressed, lonely. I was paying off my car. Um, and I, I was just feeling terrible. Uh, like, I didn't like my jobs. I was a bouncer. It's okay work, but, I mean, I was just lonely doing it seven nights a week with one night off every two weeks. For six months, I did that. And uh, sleeping like three hours a night, oh, shit, that was like the worst part. I hated living in Annandale so much. And uh, I was shooting in D.C. So Annandale's a, a little city, a little town kind of in northern Virginia, right by Washington, D.C. I was uh, on a small crew shooting a sort of a tour video of Washington, D.C., and um, it bothered me that we were showing all the riches here, how great it is, how wonderful. But I'm like, you can look up and down the street and see people in horrible poverty and people who are struggling to survive. And then the other side of the street, you have the richest, most powerful, privileged people 
who couldn't care less about their problems. So I thought, I'm gonna, I want to make a video like that, like, like a tour video, but showing how horrible a city is. Like, I wanted to tell the truth. So I made a video about Annandale and how much I hated living there. And uh, the video, I, I put it up. It did reasonably well. It got like 10,000 views, uh, which was really cool. A bunch of people in Annandale saw it. Year and a half later, um, I, I was desperate for to get something popular. I was still making videos constantly. I would, a bunch of stuff happened in this time. I worked with Shoe Nice, the human garbage disposal. Um, I literally paid for an Amtrak ticket to get him from Colorado to Virginia, and uh, he paid me back. And um, we made some videos together, and then he, he went traveling again. He traveled all over. And that was a great collaboration as well. I would just be always seeking out who I could collaborate with. And so one day, I remember, I literally said this to my mom. I, I, like, it was like my head was hanging down. This was 2016. I said, I got to get a video that gets a million views. Like, I got to do something. That, to me, I was so envious of that. And so I, I went home to my crappy house in Annandale. And I went on Reddit. And I thought, well, why don't I just post my Annandale video in this uh, sort of small um, subreddit they have. And I posted it there. And it went to the top of the subreddit. That was cool. Then someone else posted it to the video page, which is a video subreddit, which I guess is one of the biggest subreddits on the whole website. It went to the very top, I think, not just of the su uh, video subreddit, but the entire website. And it got 1.3 million views in 24 hours. And I was shocked. Like, I could not believe how many comments I was getting. Vast majority were positive. I was so glad that, like, like, I tried to keep it positive in a way. Like, in the Annandale video, I say how horrible it is to live there, but I tried not to, like, scapegoat anyone or anything. Like, I, in the end, I tried to say, like, I'm the one who's here, and I'm one of the unfortunate people who are living here. Um, so I got 1.3 million views. I couldn't believe it. Like, I was so happy. I was shocked. Now, here's the thing. I made another video. Uh, so, and by the way, this was like a year and a half of, or like 16 months after I made the video that it ended up going viral. About a month, I think, before it went viral, I had made another video about Annandale. This one about the house I lived in and how many problems it had, uh, how crappy my roommates were, how greedy my landlord was. She wouldn't fix things. There was a front doorknob that came off the front door. And I'm pretty sure a subletter messed up. The subletters would bring in their own furniture, leave diapers on the floor, leave trash out. Uh, they would bring in guests who would not flush the shared toilet. Um, and uh, I made a video about how crappy it was to live there, like a real estate video. And I was doing real estate videos at the time, tours of people's houses. So keep in mind, while I'm talking about this, like, again, the lesson of the video, you should always be filmmaking. I was looking around me and seeing what was there. And while I was doing these real estate videos for houses going for sale that were sometimes like, you know, around Northern Virginia, they're all very expensive. And a few houses were like over a million dollars. And I'm going back to my crappy little house with four roommates and a dump. And uh, I made this video, but here's the thing. I put my whole address in the video because I hate dishonesty. And I hate that my landlord was putting us in these conditions, but it's like she didn't want anyone to know about it. Like, if you're doing it, obviously you believe in it. You should be proud of it. Make sure people know. So if you think you're doing a good thing, they'll like it. Well, that got like 100,000 views as well.
And then my landlord started texting me. No, no, no. She started calling me first. She was really mad. Texting me. I didn't even answer. Sent me all these angry texts where she basically admitted to everything she wouldn't fix. She just gave excuses. She wanted to come over, evict me, come yell at me with her husband. They didn't end up doing anything. The next day, in the morning, I put up a video saying, hey, I may need a couch to sleep on because uh, my landlord doesn't like you know, the video I made. It got like 193,000 views. I got offers from all over the world for couches to sleep on. Somebody even offered me like a, a free week in a hotel. Um, reporters reached out to me. I did a bunch of interviews. It was great. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. I was like, finally, this was a validation I was looking for. Now, keep in mind, I had one video go viral before that, but my mindset was so bad, and I don't blame myself for it. This video that went viral um, was because my Big Fat Greek Wedding 2 was just announced, the sequel. And my mom was a huge fan of the original. She saw, saw it like 16 times in theaters when it came out. She's a Greek immigrant. She's from Samos. So right away, I went over to her house, and I told her, and I filmed her reaction. She got so excited. She was like dancing around for five minutes. It went kind of viral. It got like 50 or 60,000 views all in total since then. And it got in the news and stuff. And it was cool. It was playing on TV and everything. And that was cool. But after that, I was so depressed. I was like, well, what now? You know, what do I do? I think I picked up 100 or 200 subscribers from that. I was really glad for that. But I was so depressed. And that, to me, is fine. It's like I'm still struggling, just still going through it. You know, everybody is where they are at any given moment. But those are the points that make you even better, I think. Those are the points where you say, oh, you got to work even harder than the next person who may be richer, may be better looking, may have more access to things, uh, maybe, uh, you know, have more ideas that don't occur to you. You know, you got to push even harder. And that was my position. It's like, well, I got to make stuff that's unglamorous because this life sucks. And uh, that's always been my point of view. Not that life sucks, eh, but I but that, you know, I, I that's how I want to see stories and movies is see things for, you know, the ugly side, the stuff you're, you know, you wonder like, you know, why would anyone want to look at that? It's totally unglamorous. Um, not that I was living in the most dire conditions or anything, but I, like I said, I was struggling through that and I would keep making videos consistently to make. And my mom, fortunately, she was very supportive of all this. Like she was making videos with me constantly as much as possible, spending money on recipes. So, you know, there's a lesson right there is just find the people around you who are naturally talented. I realized kind of I don't even want my mom acting in videos. I would try and get her to, but I felt like it stifled her humanity. Like her humanity's got to come out. I don't want it to cover it up in some character or a costume or something. So she's always known as just Angelo's mom. You know, she's just being herself. So the Annandale videos got popular. I, I was so relieved. I was like, finally, something, a little credit, a little validation. And uh, with that, I was able to move out of Annandale, that dump, and live in Arlington, but uh, which was a, a much nicer city overall, much more wealthy and everything, and I was still struggling, and uh, obviously I'm homeless now, so a series of events led to that, but, um, you know, it, like, I was still always, like, just constantly realizing, I gotta do something, I gotta work, gotta work. In the meantime, I was doing real estate videos as well. I would collaborate with other people. I collaborated with Maddox, 
with After Prison Show with Chris Stucker, who does the Hulk Kid videos where my mom plays Hulk Mom, with um, I Must Destroy All. We did uh, pranks on my mom. I would go out and film events wherever I could, like Tommy Wiseau going out for screenings of The Room. I filmed him and Greg Sestero several times. I would always be trying to do stuff, and I don't think I'm ever living up to my potential. Like, I know there's always stuff I could be doing, and, you know, like, I, I just, like, got to take that chance. Because you get too used to doing one thing, and then you get acclimated to it. And you're like, well, this is just what I do. These are the rules. I don't want to change anything, you know, upset this formula. Uh, I want to do what's comfortable and makes sense. And I'm realizing, you know, every once in a while i got to change all that. So here's the thing. Here's what happened when I ended up going homeless. I kind of, I decided to because I had to. The way I describe that is I was going so broke. It's like, again, you learn from your environment. I, I was tired of being isolated in my home because I was paying so much in rent. I had roommates that, you know, they were nice people, but I just realized I don't like roommates ever. I can't stand having roommates, so I didn't like the, de dealing with them. Um, I'm paying all this rent and it's like, well, I can't afford to go out anywhere because all this money's going into rent. So everything I do has got to be right here. I'll exercise here, film here in my mom's house, um, you know, write here, read here. And so I essentially spent two years just isolated living in Arlington, even though it was a beautiful room I lived in. And uh, for once in my life, I had a private bathroom. Oh my goodness. Having some dignity. But uh, I was going broke constantly had very little time. I was depressed working nights all the time. I was still working nights at a bar. I was a bouncer. And um, I, so I couldn't go out to a lot of film stuff. I was working on weekends a lot. It was very frustrating. And after two years of that, feeling like, you know, what am I waiting for? This is still, you know, so de it depresses me just to recall all this stuff. That's why I'm, I'm glad I'm homeless. Even though it's a struggle, it's not the homelessness that's the issue in itself. Although I have a great deal of problems with how we treat the homeless and how we assign blame to them for how rich people put them in the position of being homeless by raising rents, by zoning land for high-income housing, intimidating tenants into leaving low-income housing. I could go on a rant all day about that stuff. It's part of why I make videos. But uh, I was thinking about this in my mind once in a while, fantasizing about how I would make uh, videos that were more interesting, more challenging, and how I would pursue filmmaking better. But I always thought, well, no, I would hate it. I would hate the, the inconvenience of not having a bathroom nearby. I would hate, you know, not being able to shower right as I get up and just walk to the bathroom. I was 100% certain I would never do this. But, you know, it's the damnedest thing when I convince myself that I will never do something, which is... Uh, I, my rent was still so expensive. I was getting more and more frustrated with my roommates. I just didn't like them taking up a bunch of space, like uh, bringing over their friends, uh, singing, whatever. You know, like like I, I felt like I'm confined to my room, and I don't want them hearing anything I'm doing. I don't. I never told them what I do with my videos, and I felt like we wouldn't have related over that anyways. I would have felt so uncomfortable about it. So. Things were happening and like little things like weren't working out for me. And, you know, like David Lynch said, I believe David Lynch said this, um, you don't create ideas, you discover them. They're out there and you just find them. You keep working away until an opening makes itself apparent to you where there's an idea and the idea presents itself to you. It's like the idea is ready to be told or the story is ready to be told. 
and I, you know, had these little setbacks, failures, and I'm like, huh, well, this opportunity is not working out. This one's not working out. I tried doing um, insurance sales, life insurance sales. Didn't work out. I thought for sure I'd get rich doing that. Um, just, I, I, turns out I didn't want to do it at all. And I spent a bunch of money doing it. And I'm still paying for it. But that's okay. Like, to me, it's like, it's, I wish I didn't have to learn so much from failure. I can, how do the other people learn who, who just get stuff working right? And don't, do I have to learn everything through failure all the time? Anyways. So, I was having these setbacks. Things weren't working out. And it was like making the opportunity apparent of what I was going to do. And, you know, it's like the opportunity was there. Live in my car. But all this other stuff was in the way. And it wasn't just living in my car. It was much more than that. It's about something I believe in. Which, it came to the point where not only I was going broke, not only I was so frustrated and lonely, um, isolated, uh, but I was feeling stifled in my storytelling. And in Virginia, it's, there's not a huge film industry. And I wanted to be around people who are like-minded, who are working in film and actually doing it. And um, I was reading uh, Ron Perlman's book, uh, Easy Street, The Hard Way. And it was so great because at the end, I said, this is how like the idea finally like it unwrapped itself to me. He, I was reading towards it, like his life story is very compelling. And towards the end, he has this section on like, it, it's almost like his motivational speech. He's like, I think we need artists to go out there and take chances and uh, do great things and, you know, live according to their truth. After I read that, took, uh, I swear, after it, the realization came over me, I'm like, oh, I have to live in my car or sleep on people's couches, either way. And here's the thing, I was sure I would sleep on people's couches. I'm like, uh, it's no problem, I don't have to plan it. I'll make a video saying I'm going to sleep on people's couches. People can offer me their couches to sleep on, I'll do it. Didn't happen. Um, I got out offers for couches, but it would have been so inconvenient, um, so expensive, I was going to offer to pay for it. And I was very depressed. I ended up sleeping in my car, having to figure out how to do that. I was paying a ton in eating food out. Um, not realizing I should be buying food at the grocery store or trying to get food cheap somewhere. It was really tough. So I was learning how do I sleep comfortably in my car? Where do I do it where the police won't bother me? Because it's basically illegal everywhere. Uh, again, another thing about uh, uh, how we treat homeless people and the poor, which is basically just make it illegal. We make them homeless and then once they're homeless, it's like, oh, well, I, I don't want to know about it afterwards. You go away. Uh, so it was a big struggle. Really difficult, but... I was doing what I wanted. I wasn't living with roommates. I wasn't paying rent. That was another thing I couldn't stand. I did not want to pay someone else just to live. Money that I was never going to get back, that I was using to pay their mortgage, that, and they could set the rules for how I was going to live, bring in roommates I didn't want to live with, and I was paying also into a system that's making everyone else's rents more expensive. Because think about it. If landlords know they can charge a certain amount, they're not going to charge less. They're going to charge more. And they're going to have people like me who are saying, oh, well, one day I'll be rich and then I'll be able to pay that rent that's really high just to live in my favorite area. Well, thank goodness I came out here because it was six months after I went homeless, I believe, till I came to L.A. and I drove here from Virginia and uh, a Honda Civic, great car. And uh, realizing that, like, I just can't stay in Virginia. And I got the idea to go to L.A. here and there, but... Again, that, like living with the car, I thought, well, there's no way I can do it. 
maybe I'll fly out there and do a video or something, but it's going to be hard because I'm working my job. And here, again, things I thought would never happen. And filmmaking has been the constant every day, doing it, reading, studying, writing, um, excruciating over this stuff, shooting, editing. Um, I was, you know, living in my car, making videos, and eventually the routine got a little bit stale. Still frustrating, still difficult and challenging, but I got this idea, okay, I want to go to L.A., but I'd retreat back to my life, which is, oh, I can't quit my job. That's my money. That's where I get money. I can't uh, leave the area. It's going to be very expensive. Um, I can't drive to L.A. I would have to fly there somehow. Well, eventually I did all that stuff. I quit my job. I just realized I had enough five and a half years. I was a bouncer. Quit my job. And it was a little bit difficult to do, but not really. I just realized I had to do it. As long as I was a bouncer, I was never really a bouncer. My mind was always elsewhere. I was never this person who was a bouncer. I was always a person trying to behave like one. And I could see that in the new person we hired who just took to it naturally. And he was very outgoing and stuff. I was like, oh, this is obvious. I should not be doing this. And uh, so that's also how I was trying to do this stuff for five years. And before that, I was doing it without this job, but it was working nights. And also, I just don't want to work. So I decided not only I refuse the indignity of paying landlords, I refuse the indignity of working where I, I don't feel like, you know, I can be myself. I can't express myself. I don't tell people about the videos I make. It was sad. So it wasn't just the six hours a night I was working. It was the fact that, you know, I was stopping being myself. And uh, I... I was talking to my mom one day, I was filming with her, and then she was just saying something about, oh, what, maybe someday you'll go to L.A. or whatever. And I realized, oh, I have to go to L.A. I just realized it right then. But see, why, I'm still the topic, uh, topic of the video is still filmmaking every day. So why am I bringing this up? Because it only became apparent when everything lined up before that, when I had struggled and failed over and over again, when I had made so many videos thinking, maybe this one will go viral, maybe this one will go viral. Now I never think they do. And if they do, it's just a great bonus. Seriously, it is. Uh, oh, I'll backtrack to another. Uh, this is how I think, just going back and forth. But I'll backtrack to another video, one of my most popular videos, at least as of right now, that I never thought would be popular. And I had every reason not to think it would be popular and help me out and make me money was because... Um, it was a video about uh, a day I got vertigo. I just got really sick one day. I thought I was having a stroke. I was so worried. I would get up out of my bed. It felt like somebody was shoving me down. I would fall. My balance was horrible. I threw up. Um, it was hurting so bad. I couldn't go to work that night. I went to the emergency room thinking maybe I'm having a stroke. Well, they said I had vertigo, gave me a prescription for nausea medicine, and told me to go to an ear, nose, and throat specialist. I'm like, oh, great. I don't want to do all that. I'm broke. Why do I have to spend more money and more time? I looked online for a solution for this. Well, it turned out I had an acute form of vertigo that is very easily cured. And it was just a glimpse of a thought like, oh, maybe I should film this. Well, I filmed it. It was just like a six or seven minute video of me saying, okay, here's this technique I learned. Let's see if it works to treat vertigo. You just turn your head a few ways and it kind of flushes out the stuff in your ear that for the type of vertigo I had, not everyone has that, but type I had, um, it flushes it out, the stuff that's messing with your balance. It's like some crystal breaks off in some, inside your body and, and it gets in the canal that 
uh, the, the, has the fluid that controls your balance. I did that, and it was kind of funny, too. Like, I was screaming because it was, you know, a little painful to do. Um, and it's called the Epley Maneuver. I did that. I thought it will get 150, 200 views because people don't watch my channel for this stuff. They watch for my mom. They see my mom, they click on it. Me, they click less. Uh, something like this, they're barely going to click at all because it's not even that funny. I did it, and it got like, yeah, 150, 250 views, whatever. After a couple weeks, I'm noticing it's getting thousands and thousands of views. And then like 1,000 views a day, 2,000 views a day. And it fluctuates up and down, or it hovers around it. It's hovered there ever since. As of right now, it's gotten at least like a 550,000 views. So, yeah, <laughs> I just shocked myself. So I was shocked, and I realized, look, I looked it up to see, well, how are people finding this? Turns out, tons of people get vertigo. You look up the top videos on the Epley Maneuver on YouTube, they have millions of views. I had no idea. So it turns out lots of people were watching this video, and some were like desperately hoping this will help them. Some did it and said it, it cured them. So people are actually getting helped out by this, and it was doing something funny. That's like the ultimate win-win to me. And it was helping me out a ton. I was like, holy crap. I had no, think about, nobody told me to do that. It was because I was in the habit of filmmaking every day. I'm sorry, I know these are the long way around these lessons, but I don't know any short way of getting through them. All I know is doing, learning things the hard way, which is just like, I've got to figure it out through, you know, testing it and experience. So... The only way I thought to do that, because years ago I wouldn't have thought to do that. I didn't even think to film my mom, and she's the star of my YouTube channel now, but I didn't even think to film her. I thought, well, I should be making short films. I want to emulate David Fincher and Martin Scorsese, you know, my favorite filmmakers like that. And uh, those short films went nowhere, you know, performed pitifully. First year on YouTube, I looked it up, I got less than a thousand views. You can look up your YouTube analytics. The whole first year, from uh, January 1st, 2009, when I started my channel, Less than a thousand views. Um, now I get that. I, uh, how's it work out? I got to do the math. Every few hours, basically. So it's good. I mean, in the scheme of things, it's so small, but it's good. Like, if you can tell, you know, where I've been going with the story, that's really good. Like, I'm glad that that's possible now. That depends on a lot of factors, and, you know, it's obviously, first of all, filmmaking every day. Like, it's opened up the possibility of realizing I should film with my mom, I should film uh, with people I reach out to, um, I should, you know, collaborate with other YouTubers, which have brought me thousands of those subscribers that I have. And uh, um, watching Film Courage, and just everybody I'm watching, thinking one day either, like, I'll work with them, or I want to reach out to them, or something. It's, there's never a distance for me now between them. I always think now, like, oh, I want to work with this person. So Film Courage, somebody I reached out to, um, I waited a while because I wanted to go to the gym a lot and uh, get ripped before I appeared on camera for y'all. But uh, I, I would watch Film Courage over and over because I, want, I realized, I think at 27, I wanted to start writing screenplays. I had these ideas for years. I thought other people would write them. That's how I got into everything in filmmaking. I thought other people would shoot and edit, and I thought I would hire everybody to do that. And I did it, and it was expensive. So, and also I wanted to learn this stuff. So eventually I realized, oh, I can't get someone else to write for me. I have to learn it, because even if I got someone else to, I wouldn't know a good script uh, if I saw it. So I started writing, and I realized it was terrible. I'll never forget this. 13 pages into a screenplay that I thought I always wanted to write, and I'm like, 
there's no story yet. This is terrible. So I realized, okay, I got to go back and learn this stuff. I didn't know screenwriters didn't just write. How ignorant I was. I watched a ton of interviews on Film Courage. They were great. That was like a big challenge for me to learn everything I could from that. Read books from those authors. Write. Get feedback. Uh, sure enough, the feedback I was getting was, this is not working at all. And I was so sure it was, I was crushed. But regardless, that was a great lesson. I learned so much faster doing that, even though it was so painful. But I don't begrudge it at all. I'm glad. And so since then, I was like, that like stressed me to push forward. It's like when you stress your muscles or whatever it is, you know, you're doing. You push beyond what you think you're capable of doing. And it was, again, everything, every little incremental change before that, that led up to that for me to realize, I, it's like I discovered I wanted to screenwrite. I didn't know I could have a new dream at, how old was I? When, I wasn't 27, I was like 30, 31 or so. I'm 34 now. I had no idea I could want a new dream at that age. I thought, well, this is what I want to do and that's it. And filmmaking has always been the constant for me since I was 17. That's always what I wanted. I always wanted to direct. I never knew I wanted to write. And so now I'm still learning that and discovering that. And it's so great to be able to do that, even with all the frustration, you know, mixed right in there. Um, all those incremental changes over the years led to that point. And, you know, through bitter experience, through uh, being broke, through my brother attacking me and my house and him get, I got him arrested. I got kicked out of the house and moving in to these other horrible places. And sure enough, my greatest success in many ways, the Annandale video came from some of my lowest moments. And it's not that I wish for those moments. It hurts me just to remember them, um, how lonely a person could be. Uh, and also when I was sick, I thought I would never get better. I thought for sure, like I didn't want to live. And I eventually, somebody notified the police that I threatened suicide. I was taken to a mental hospital, stayed there for five days. Um, they treated me great, but just being inside a, a confined space was like torturous for me for five days. I came out with the agathesia where I was pacing uncontrollably for 23 hours a day. Um, just horrible. And it hurt me so much to think anybody who ever liked me must be so disappointed in me now that I'm so sick. There's nothing I, I have to offer anymore. I am so delirious. I was hallucinating so horribly. I was barely capable of eating. Like I would literally, I was gaining weight, but it's because I was eating crappy food and not exercising. I was um, having trouble swallowing. Like I was so horrible. And the disability was like a mental illness. I was delirious. I was hallucinating. I was like not myself. I don't know if it was uh, like depersonalization and derealization, but it was horrible. Um, nine months that just, you know, gone. And I'm amazed that I ever got better and still always like, you know, some of the pit in my chest to think of that experience and think, how did I ever escape that? I feel like a fugitive that escaped that. Like uh, that's always the sentence that's facing me and that I've just got to get away from it. But um, I'm telling you all this stuff because first of all, I don't know any way to make it that's not, you know, that, that I can filter it that isn't just my stream of consciousness. I wrote notes and then I disregarded the notes. And my just, you know, ranting, because that's how I think, that's how I approach things. And I'm like, well, if that's, that's, if that's what works to get an audience and keep me going, uh, that's what you all deserve to see right here. So, okay, now back to Ron Perlman's book. So I said, uh, I, I read his book, I decided, okay, based on that motivational 
uh, passage in the book, I've got to move into my car. And then I moved to LA, came out here, and uh, it, sure enough, out here, it's a struggle as well. I re see how many people also are looking for work. And it, I, it makes me realize, oh, the, you think people have power because they're on TV or whatever? And it's not. <laughs> like, they don't. <laughs> it's nothing. Like, it's just, like, it looks glamorous. Um, everything looks glamorous on video uh, or film. But uh, I'm so glad, like, to get to this point, I had to film make, film make, film, be filmmaking every single day, no matter what I'm doing. Um, it's tough on days like today. I feel so lonely. I feel excited now, exhilarated to film this. After I'm done filming, it's going to be a challenge to keep my mood up, but that's all right. I'm going to go to Starbucks or somewhere. I'm going to go write. Or actually, I might film something else for my own YouTube channel. Um... You know, I have to teach myself a lot of things to be able to do this. I had to learn just to be able to speak to people and have some confidence and feel good about myself. I studied sales training. I studied a straight line persuasion from Jordan Belfort, The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, so that taught me really how to speak and how to think. Um, because I, I realized when I saw the movie of The Wolf of Wall Street, I don't know how to speak to people. Because I wanted to know how to talk like that. Not that I want to be a, a salesperson, but... I want to know basically like how to motivate myself and how to like convey my ideas to others and not be horribly hard on myself. Here's the other thing about filmmaking all this time that taught me the incremental little lessons like wedged in there day after day and moment by moment. I could not have done this trip to LA a couple years ago. Any frustration, any setback I had, which I've gotten out here, many, um, I don't want to say many in a way, but like they're there, like I've had some. If I tried to manage those feelings back then, a couple years ago, it would have devastated me. I would be incapable of coping with it. That's so much of my life has just been learning how to cope with stuff. But that's also, to me, is a, uh, an asset because it's uh, that informs how I tell stories, which is I want to tell stories about, you know, uh, brutality and you know making difficult choices and. Um, you know, at, like, living in a world that doesn't provide any good option for you in a lot of circumstances. Like, you're just having to choose between something bad or just annihilation um, and just destroying yourself. So I could not have done that. It took the years and years of doing this. I hope it's not always just work for me, <laughs> like, learning from failure. Can I ever just get the good moments? Can I ever just bask and enjoy it? Like, it seems like other people do, and they're able to, to me, I don't learn unless, like, I have horrible failures, and uh, as a result, I think, like, when I was just hiding from people for a long time, and it's always a temptation to do that, um, I was just, I didn't know how to relate to people, I was very ignorant, and so out here, I've made a commitment, it's not even a conscious commitment, I just know, I always want to push myself to go meet people, and uh, it's been great. Most people are very nice, by the way. In LA, like, I thought, I was scared when I came out, like, everyone would be a bunch of egomaniacs, I couldn't trust them. The vast majority, I'd say pretty much everybody I've met has been a really nice person, and uh, I've gone to a lot of events, um, parties, filmmaker events, uh, filmmaker open houses, and um, people have been overwhelmingly very nice. I'd go up and say hi to as many people as I could, introduce myself, say what I do, 
um, ask you know what they do ask if they have an email or a card I can take and then I'll email them my resume so they can see what I do and uh, you know if we can ever help each other just let me know same thing goes for you all out there by the way if you want to check out my YouTube channel it's flying over trout trout with a zero you just look up Angelo's mom and you can find me for great entertainment uh, cooking videos all kinds of funny stuff and uh, also it's I know it's ironic I talked about wanting to make films about you know desperation and dire circumstances but I make all these funny videos to me they come from the same place I make funny videos because the opportunity is there it's easy and it's a way of practicing storytelling and it's not like it's the most challenging type of you know storytelling because it's so easy when like someone like my mom and dad are together like you just film them like you don't do anything you just stand back and watch them interact and the only your job or my job is just to recognize the talent that's on display and just let it happen in front of the camera. And all that helps because it's building my YouTube channel, it's getting a little practice. People appreciate it, they admire it and respect it. I tell them about it. They a lot of times people laugh when they see my shirt, my Angela's mom shirt. And um uh and it's a way of financing my future because the videos keep building my channel. Um, that's good because what I'm realizing too is people want actors, entertainers, filmmakers out here or anywhere who have their own audience already. They aren't looking for people who can just do whatever. It's easier. That's my understanding and it makes perfect sense is they want people who are out there doing stuff to get an audience already. So to me all my work's ahead of me. I've still got so much to do because I want to leverage all this into more. So glad Film Courage uh, accepted this, um, uh, you know, my request, by the way, to do this. I reached out to them because I knew I wanted to be out here. Um, every job I've gotten basically has been, once I've been out in L.A., which has only been two months now, has been through YouTube. One opportunity leading to another, or one person reaching out to another who knew me from YouTube, whatever. Um, sometimes I see people who have already, like, seen my videos or my mom's videos or Tim's cook-off. Um, so to me, all the work is ahead of me and I still just got to keep doing it because you can't know in advance where this career will lead. I had no clue it would lead to any of this. I never thought, not just I never thought I'd live in my car, I thought definitively I will not live in my car. I thought for sure I would not be able to quit my job, uh, go to LA and, um, be out here with like with you know and and not have my mom to film with too that was scary because i was thinking oh geez like am i turning my back on her you know and i realized no not at all this is the best thing for her and she understands that now she understood that very quickly early on that once i was here and she realized you know uh like i would make it to la like literally physically make it to la she thought my car would not make it um that uh it was the best thing i could do and so we talk a lot and i recently i was able fortunate enough to get a gig to go back to Virginia and film with her a little bit and then come back. Um, even though next time I will not fly. I hate flying. I'll never fly again if I can help it. I look forward to the day someone invites me to fly so I can tell them no and see the disappointment in their eyes. Because if you want me to fly airlines, give me my dignity. I don't just mean the TSA patting, my down, patting me down, which was, you know, disturbing. I don't just mean them searching through my bag and leaving a note saying we searched through your bag, which, thank goodness, the last flight back, I had a bunch of dirty underwear in there you all had to look through when you did that. Uh, I'm talking about the waiting two, three hours in advance. If you want me to get on a plane, 
You don't have to make me go through all that nonsense security theater and wait to check my bag and pay 30 bucks or whatever. You can figure out a way to do it. It's not just the airlines, it's the whole system, the way it works. Uh, so a lot of these videos I do are rant videos as well. But see, every frustration, whatever, it's just an opportunity. Why? Because I'm filmmaking every day. They're not the hugest opportunities. I'm not claiming that. You look at my channel, you can see what views they get. So it's not like uh, I'm a, you know, hugely popular. But in a way, I'm exactly where I need to be. And where I need to be is always where I'm headed. And that's a decision I have to make. Because it's so hard, especially moments like today. I'm hot, sweaty, um, you know... I was worried about driving my car. It still needs repairs. I'm broke, by the way. Like, I'm still looking for work. Hey, if you want to reach out to me, I'm sure the links will be in the description. Uh, and my social media is, you know, all out there, too. So reach out if you can, uh, you know, collaborate or got anything we can work together on. And there are great opportunities. And the ones for me that I've got to be mindful of in filmmaking every day is not to say, well, trying to do something that's going to take too much time. So it's not a good idea and I shouldn't do it. That's the story that I tell myself and we all have stories we tell ourselves of why we can't have what we want. So I've heard them where people say, oh, that's going to be too much work. I, I don't want to be involved in filmmaking to that level because it's going to be too much work. And, you know, to me that means, well, okay, then you don't want to do it. Um, or people who, uh, you know, might be worried, oh, I'm going to put too much out there. I'll overexpose myself. I don't have any story to tell today or whatever. You can always try something, whatever it is. Always push yourself. Fortunate, I'm glad I discovered screenwriting as something I want to do because that opened up a whole new thing for me. A whole new world. By the way, interacting with the screenwriters, I've interacted with several. I've hired two of them to consult on my um, screenplay outlines from Film Courage, the ones uh, who were on there. Um, I happened to meet one in a Starbucks around here. William Martell, shout out to you, reading your ebooks. And... Um, I, uh, that all happened again, filmmaking every single day. And sure enough, those opportunities make themselves apparent to you. And it's like this idea needs to be expressed. Like you realize it. That's my experience. At least I used to think, yeah, like geniuses just came up with these great ideas in a vacuum. They were isolated and they just come up with them. I didn't realize they come from what you see and what you're informed by. So now I want to tell stories about, you know, stuff I see, like, you know, desperation, like uh, the unfair criminal justice system, like homelessness. I have a screenplay I'm working on about that, and I've been working it over and over, rewriting and rewriting, and thank goodness I'm getting the confidence to do it. I'm not saying what the end result is, whether it's good or not, yet, you know, if, if it gets made, that'll be for other people to decide. I will get it made, though, and also I'm rewriting it to be very, very inexpensive. That opportunity came, again, from filmmaking every day slowly building my confidence and also the interesting thing about being in LA when I first came out here I was scared to tell people I make YouTube videos because I was like well does anyone care about that would what does anyone want to know that or do they want to see it and I was so used to in Virginia not telling anybody about this stuff it was horribly depressing um, but I would tell people and sure enough people would laugh or they'd be excited about it they'd listen they'd want to hear about it they'd email me back and say nice things when i email them always when i go out to events i get everyone's email i can and i email everybody i meet um and i gave out all the cards i have already i gotta get more and the reaction i got from people has informed me and given me confidence to say oh i should lead with this 
because this is obviously my best asset in many ways. Because I was thinking, well, maybe I should tell people I can work on set, which I can, and if you're out there and you want to hire me, let me know, like production assistant. And, uh, uh, you know, just helping out any way I can help develop something or help, you know, come up with, like, um, some resources for something. Like, anything I could. I was thinking, should I tell people I edit or whatever? But sure enough, people are glad to hear it. And I think it's just people, you know, it's a refreshing sight to see someone doing something that's unique. Uh, meaning I'm doing on the story only I can tell. And so I think that's true for everyone. You should do the story only you can tell, that you really need to. I don't understand, like, how if you, you know, do it because you want to in a way. Like, I realized at a certain point I need to do this. This is the only way I understand life. Thank goodness for filmmaking. I, I don't know what I would be doing or what I'd even want to do if it wasn't for this. This is how I see the world. I'm sweating now. I put on some sunscreen before this too. I think everyone who's a filmmaker should be working on this. Filmmaking every day. Do yourself the favor of doing it. If you like anything I said, the experiences I had, the um, jobs I've had working with other people. I've worked with some of my favorite entertainers like Tim and Eric, Angry Grandpa. I've gotten to travel now because of it, even though I don't love traveling. But um, I, I, got, I got to LA because of it, and I want to get my mom out here in LA for it. And I trust that that will happen, to get her opportunities to make stuff, because there are stories that only can be told with her that nobody else can do. And so I think that's what you should do. do you know, follow your own obsessions and interests, but you've got to work at it. It's like a muscle you're working at every day. You can't just let it get complacent and you droop over and you're not working. And then when you think about how much work it's going to be, you're like, oh, I'm not even going to try. So it's because uh, it's not worth it. It's not going to get me the result I want. You have to motivate yourself even harder out of that. And believe me, it's tough. Like everyone's are, everyone is where they are when they are. Like for a long time, I was just where I was and staying there. And I am still where I am now, but... Like, I'm at a point now where I've learned from all that and I've gotten that experience of knowing I can keep doing this. But it's always a temptation to just regress and be frustrated and angry. And I really don't want to do that. Um, so even when it's frustrating, that's when I know, oh, I should look up some people to reach out to. I've still been doing that. Emailing people, finding YouTubers who are entertaining, looking up people to find. I found an after prison show, by the way. So I made some videos with him. He has over a million subscribers now. When I found him, he had about 1,200. And I immediately reached out to him and said, you got to keep doing this. This is great. And sure enough, one day, this channel blows up, gets like 30, 40,000 subscribers. Then it had like 400,000 about the time I met with him and we worked together. And then it grew to over a million. Um, so that was because I was following my obsession, my interests. I found him because I was looking up stories of prisoners. That's it. And I happened to fi find that he had a Reddit post about art he made in prison, and I found his YouTube channel from there. So that won't necessarily happen to everyone, but it doesn't need to. Um, I believe, you know, you have to find those opportunities by, again, filmmaking every single day. So through all the low points, all the desperation, I have to believe those are assets. Those are things that will work in my favor because ultimately, like, you can't look at yourself as incomplete and say, oh, I need something and then I'll be better. That was the mindset I had when my mom's big fat Greek wedding video got popular and then I was depressed again. By the time the Annandale video got popular, I was like, this is great, I have the validation now, but it doesn't change anything in a way that like I knew why I was doing this even better and I was in a, just a better state of mind and sometimes it takes time. You don't There's no sense in beating yourself up too hard or like 
to the point where it's masochistic. I believe Viktor Frankl's um, saying, the uh, psychologist who, who survived the um, concentration camps in Germany, who said, uh, to suffer needlessly is not heroic, it's masochistic. So you got to know the difference. And when things are challenging, and it's a challenge for me, i got to ask myself that right now, which is when you're saying, you know, uh, what should I keep going on for, whatever, what can I expect from life? You know, and you have to ask yourself, well, what does life expect from me? Well, it doesn't expect me to solve all my problems right now, to get rich, to make the, you know, the multi-million dollar movies I want to direct and collaborate with people and build all the relationships I need. All life expects from me, like, it, 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 I can't say what it expects. All, all I can say is it doesn't expect me to be a loser or a failure for that. In fact, it empowers me to do exactly what I need to do, which is make films every day. Thanks for watching, everybody.